Welcome to the Soccer Geeks Podcast, hosted by Jason Barbato. Hey everyone, welcome to the Soccer Geeks Podcast. I am your host, Jason Barbato, and not with me this afternoon, evening, or morning, wherever you're listening, is our show's producer, the amazing, the illustrious Marissa Kelly. Uh, Marissa is not able to be with us because she is on assignment. Let's just say she's on assignment. She's got a bunch of projects she's working on. She's not able to be with us this evening because when I'm recording this, actually, it's at night. And um, I'm super excited to have a, a very close friend of mine and a close friend to the show, uh, Roy Sutherland, who's going to be joining us. He is a, a physio. He focuses on sports science. And that's just a fraction of the knowledge that he has that he wants to share with you today, whether you are a parent, player, or a coach. Uh, he wants to drop some knowledge bombs on you. And so without further ado, let's bring Rory on here. Hey, buddy, how you doing? Welcome to the show. I'm so stoked to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, uh, Rory, just for sake of argument, um, there is, as I've coined it, the droid army that follows after your last name with all your titles. You've got an MS, a CSCS, an EPC, and an FRC. So uh, can you let us know what the, the little droids that follow your name slash your title and your all of your educatory degrees, can you decode some of that for us? Yeah, sure. Um, and there's more after that too, but I, I figured I should cut it off at a certain point and, uh, you know, no one really knows what they mean anyway. Sure. Um, so the, the MS is obviously a master's of science and that's in exercise science. I got that over at PLNU. Um, and in that discipline, you know, you got to take some sports performance, um, but also you got to, if you wanted to, you could look at what's called stress testing, which is more of an exercise physiology approach. So we got a healthy mix of, of health um, sports performance uh, in those in that curriculum. And I, I can't recommend it enough. Um, great faculty over there. So after that, there's the CSCS, which is kind of like the gold standard strength and conditioning certification. Um, still another one of those things that really gets you in the door doesn't necessarily mean you're a good trainer. Um, it's a fairly difficult test, but um, got that guy there. And the EPC is the exercise physiologist. Um, and I do do some work in exercise physiology, um, specifically in cardiology, uh, which uh, I enjoy. I enjoy a lot just because it's more of like the organism uh, standpoint. It's more of just looking at someone in a laboratory setting where you can control a lot of variables. And it, it teaches you a lot about uh, humans and exercise. So I like that. <clears throat> the FRC is just a mobility certification. So I figured like those things rounded everything off. Um, but like I said, there's other certifications down down the way, but it's not like anyone knows what they are. And, sure. um, you know, to a degree, at a certain point, it's really what you're now. Now, if you can apply that, you know, what what is your experience? How have you used that knowledge? Um, that's really what impresses me nowadays about trainers is how can they take, you know, that cutting edge stuff and apply it in a real world setting? Um, right. Because that, that really matters. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And that's kind of partly of why I really asked you to be on the show. Um, you know, one of the things that I talked to you about kind of before uh, hand was about kind of decoding the jargon that we see, because if we just deal with kind of the high level words and phrases and concepts, 
um, the average person, the average athlete is not going to really be able to internalize that content and then know how to apply that rightly to their situation in their body. So, so parents, coaches, players out there, that's one of the things that we kind of aim to do in this conversation this evening is kind of help decode a little bit. Um, also help kind of demythify some of the myths that are out there about training and about, uh, how much is too much and when is it right to, to hang out and to, to see somebody who is really a movement specialist, um, you know, when is it appropriate to have your kids talk with a, a movement specialist and or a physio, something along those lines. And so, you know, just kind of to give a broad brush view uh, for our audience there, just kind of what the the content, hopefully, in the context of our conversation will be. Um, with that kind of said, Rory, I'd love if you would kind of share your philosophy of physiology uh, with our audience so that we kind of have an idea of your approach to your applied science to specifically the sport of soccer? Yeah. So I would say my approach and how it might differ from others is I'm an energy system first type of person. So uh, you might look at that like more of a cardiovascular exercise or like an aerobic type exercise, you know, um, how much can you endure? So the, the common terminology is going to be endurance. Now, endurance means a lot of things to me. It's not just like how much can your, you know, how high can you get your heart rate? You know, how out of breath can you get? And for how long can you do that? Obviously that matters. Um, and when I came in to my role, um, you know, in sports performance for soccer, that was one of the first things that was said to me anyways, which was, Hey, I'm, we're seeing a drop off later in the games and we want to take care of that. Now, um, the reason why I go this, um, you know, aerobic first approach is because it, it's kind of the foundation. It underlies everything else. You know, what a lot of people don't understand about being good at endurance is how much it heightens every other aspect of your performance and your training. Um, so what I love to tell lifters is like, you know, if you build that aerobic engine, if you build that foundation, you're going to recover better between, you know, your lifts, you're going to recover better from your trainings, you're going to recover better after your games. Um, even your lifts that you're doing, your, your reps are going to be more quality later on in the session. And the research shows that more quality reps means more quality adaptation. So I really like to take care of that first. Um, and also too, you can't cheat endurance. Like there's, there's no way around it. It requires time. It requires effort and to, and that's maybe where we're getting some of our grit. Um, and we learn things about ourselves, uh, you know, when we're pushing that specific system. So, um, you know, apart from the actual, you know, lungs, heart and all those things, well, there's also endurance of the hamstrings and it's endurance and hamstrings and sprinting. Um, you know, we know we do a lot of high speed running in soccer and I need those hamstrings to withstand all of the things that we're throwing at them. Cause we know those to be, um, one of the, the major reasons why players miss time is, yeah. is hamstring strain. So, you know, this idea of endurance, it goes past the lungs and the heart and the breathing and the, you know, the, everyone's idea of like steady state, it goes well past that. You know, you could talk about endurance and repeated sprint, you know? Um, so that's probably my first approach. And then my second approach is, 
is postural in nature. And again, like, it doesn't mean that I'm like telling everyone to sit tall with their shoulders back. And yeah, every time <clears> I say posture, yeah. every time I say posture, everyone's kind of like back like this yeah. and say, yeah. And to, Chest and forward, to, butt back. Yeah, here we go. Yeah, yeah. it's the worst sure. thing. It's the worst thing that we've done to ourselves is this like chest out approach. Like, yeah, I don't want your head hanging forward, but we need to redefine what we understand as posture. Uh, and there's athletic postures. So people who are, you know, sprint coaches will talk about you know, acceleration postures and top speed postures. And then from a corrective or recovery or rehabilitative standpoint, you know, there's postures of the pelvis and the rib cage um, of your right knee versus your left knee. I want to understand those postures. How do we keep them in their most variable and neutral place? Um, because what we do know is that repetitive or a repetitive movement or lack thereof, we're going to start to affect these postures. And now we're starting to put a little bit of wear and tear on one side of a joint or we're starting to overuse uh, one specific set uh, of musculature and if there's anything we know about the body is that you know it's it's you know we have proprioceptors we also have exteroceptors like light you know on um, the environment how that impacts us but we also have interoceptors so when our internal environment changes um it, it can be very damaging to performance. It can be very damaging and, and an increased risk of injury. So yeah. I would say those are kind of like my two main things that I go at first. Um, and they're kind of umbrella terms. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And you've worked with both. I mean, you know, just for context, uh, you know, you, you are currently working with the boys Academy at San Diego surf, which is one of the mm -hmm. top uh, boys, uh, youth academies in the country. You've been working with them for several years now. And so, you know, they have, they've kind of given you free reign to apply this philosophy kind of at the academy level across multiple age groups. And can you share with us at least from the philosophy that you've applied there, obviously you've kind of tweaked and learned some things along the way, right? Cause there's, there's the chalkboard talk and then there's kind of what happens on the field. And, and mm -hmm. as things kind of go, you always have to adapt and adjust for the audience you have and things like that. Yeah. So can you kind of talk about maybe some of the things you learned have learned along the way in the last few years by implementing this philosophy kind of across the board for age groups? I mean, and so for our audience understanding too, this is obviously dealing with uh, more of a, of the male side because that's where Rory's had the primary chunk of his uh, from a uh, physio side, from a team side, but that doesn't mean that you don't also do one-on-one uh, -on -one sessions for female yeah. athletes and and and, th and people in recovery of all age groups because you're not an ageist. That's one thing I know about you. Uh, so so go back to that surf question really quick. Kind of what were some of the things that you learned along the way and some of the results that you saw through this applied philosophy? Yeah. So well, I'll, I'll bring up one specific thing that we've done. And, and when I say it, you know, if any of my players listen to this or any of the coaches, they'll know exactly what we're talking about. Um, but we do a lot of tempo running and anyone who follows my my Instagram will uh, uh, will concur. And and that fits into that enduring aspect um, because it's a low hanging fruit. And that's probably one of the main things I learned to kind of hone in at working with surf is because you come in with constraints, you come in with you know, how many times you can see the players, right? You, um, how long you have, how many are you going to have per session? Um, what's the attendance like? Because that's not always great. So if you're running a really specific progression, 
Uh, if you have a guy that's missing, you know, two weeks out of that progression, like that's huge. And if he's not doing this stuff on his own time, which I can't go to their house and make them do right. it. Um, chances are they're not. Yeah. And chances are they're not, you know, that's, that's really difficult. So, yeah. um, and, and the last thing is available equipment and spaces. So, you know, naturally you're at the youth level. I would imagine if there's any other youth strength and conditioning coaches listening, they probably feel somewhat constrained in some way. So you got to find the low hanging fruit. And I I've noticed that I've had to do a lot of uneducating before the educating first. Uh, you know, you should see, or hear about some of the lifting and maybe to the layman's, it won't make as much sense, but from a strength and conditioning standpoint, when I look at what a lot of these kids are doing, you know, it'd be stuff they found on TikTok and Instagram and they're following people, you know, physique athletes, which, um, is, is not the epitome of athleticism or strength. Um, and obviously how many physique athletes do you see playing in the champions league right now? Um, not maybe, you know, not very many. Um, yeah. And so, and so with that being said, you know, we do, we do these like tempo runs is I would say the tempo runs have been some of the, have, have made some of the largest return and why okay. do they do that is because, um, you know, they're, <laughs> I'm getting adaptation for the whole session. That's one thing. It's a, it's a very tried and true progression that we can do. The kids can do it at home, which some of them do actually, they'll come up to me and say, Hey, I'm going to miss. And, and I need to, uh, um, I need to do this at home. How can we do that? So we adapt it for them. Uh, love those kids. Favorite, favorite guys do that. And, um, and so, you know, with that, we're doing, we're, we're checking a lot of boxes. So with tempo running, you're getting a lot of high speed running. You're also obviously getting the heart rate up for an extended period of time. Um, you're training a little bit of repeated sprint ability. So if you look at the sport and you look at the activity, you can make a lot of, of connection with that. Um, it's also a low intensity, like relatively low intensity exercise. They won't tell you that it's low intensity, but yeah. if you, but if you understand the stimulus on the particular systems of the body, um, you know, it to be that like they can train the next day and they're just fine. Um, so, you know, that's been something we've implemented with success. Uh, and then our lifting, our lifting is, is, more on that postural side, I talked about that second thing, um, where I'm looking at lifts that, uh, that essentially give them what they're not getting from their sport, uh, and go after the specific musculature that they're straining the most. Um, so for those familiar with strength and conditioning, you know, you're probably familiar with like the Copenhagen plank, you know, a lot of like groin work, things like that. Um, and I, and I, I kind of take to uh, what's called unilateral lifting, which is like the different. So a bilateral lift would be like a two footed squat, whereas a unilateral lift would be like a lunge or a split squat. And the, the reason why I'm, I'm going to opt for the lunge and split squat is because of the equipment that I have access to, which is, you know, not the heaviest equipment in the world. So going to a single leg allows us to put them under more load, um, but also to it's, it's more specific to gait um, and if there's one thing I've learned in my work with exercise physiology and all my schooling is that, you know, walking and running is a hierarchy. You know, we are built to do those things. We are just wired that way. We're wired to move uh, reciprocally. Um, if, if you pertain, you know, a good chunk of your movements with that mindset, you're going to, for lack of a better term, nourish the body in that way. So, mm -hmm. you know, I moved to more of like a split squat rather than a, the squat because I get like a gate specific type lift 
and there's more specificity to it. That doesn't mean that we never do squats. I mean, there's a time and place for that. Um, but I just like to, I like to toe that line between specific and non-specific, um, uh, and see what makes the most sense for my guys, uh, and make sure that I'm not, you know, that I'm overloading tissue at the right times. Um, that's right. probably, that's probably a pretty massive one too. knowing when to do what, like you're not going to do Nordic hamstring curls, uh, you know, b before, before a particularly large field session, like just understanding those pieces. Um, sure. and for everybody those, at home yeah. is Googling like Nordic <laughs> arm curls right now, the, 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 the hamstring curls. So it's oh, hamstring where, curls. Yeah. It's the one where you see someone holding onto someone's legs and they're basically, they have their, the, the guy doing the curl oh, has yeah. their arms crossed chest and they're kind of lowering themselves down. They try to do it very slowly. Um, and it's very, it creates a lot of muscle damage. Um, and it's, it's a great activity, um, to reduce the incidence of hamstring strain or to reduce the risk of them. Um, but also too, if you do them before a training session, now you've yeah. put them at risk. Um, yeah. You've exhausted them. Yeah. 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 So just like them. knowing how to structure sure. a week, um, that's, that's definitely something that we, we, we take, um, you know, priority in. So, um, you know, one thing I kind of wonder, Rory, and, you know, especially in, a, in the highly competitive world of youth soccer, right, in that context, um, it is very rare for a club to employ uh, the services of a movement specialist and or a physio. A apart from cost, because we, that's a whole different conversation, different time. Apart from cost, why do you think that what you bring to the table is so undervalued uh, in the developmental focus of a soccer club? All right. Well, you know, uh, soccer's weird about this stuff. Um, you know, it, it comes down to the skills coach and how much they believe in it. Um, there's some recent videos of, of Atletico madrid um doing a strength and conditioning session and 99 of strength coaches out there uh immediately would write it off and and think it's ridiculous but they were making deep runs both in la liga and deep runs in the champions league at that time now that doesn't mean that the training was making them good at the sport you know it, it's hard to look for causation in that or understand causation with that um but what the, the problem is is it almost you need to babysit someone to keep them from doing the same thing over and over again. You know, the way the body works is let's just pretend like before we do any training or playing or anything like that, we just have this plane, you know, and, and when we do, when we do an activity, a river starts to form. Okay. And if the yeah. one thing we know about rivers is that eventually they'll create a Canyon right now, when you're only playing your sport, and you're doing it a lot and you have no other movement variability, um, you're going to create some pretty deep canyons. And what happens is I love this example of, of a callus. And this is, this is kind of that canyon type of example. But like, you, let's say, I don't know, you're trying to learn pull-ups and you get a bunch of calluses, right? And, and as you're going through it, you notice that that callus gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until one day, you know, you, you, join a CrossFit class and decide to try a kipping pull-up and that callus rips off. Now, where did that callus rip off? Did it rip off on the thick part or did it rip off on the perimeter? And you'll notice it ripped off on the perimeter. Why? Because that callus grew so, so high that the skin around it never got any stimulus. 
And so it never reinforced itself. And so then you put it through this activity again, and it tore at the weak point. Mm -hmm. And so if we're looking at it from like a corrective approach, if we're looking at it from a, a, a prehabilitative approach, um, you know, a lot of my job is giving the players what they're not getting from their normal activities. And, and definitely on in the, the youth level, like the younger, younger level, the, the, you know, the, the basically 14 and under guys, like they need a lot of that, especially because mm -hmm. they're, you know, they're going to be growing uh, a lot soon, but also too, you know, they're that sponge of learning and we want to increase their capacity to learn. Um, so that's, that's one of my, my main mm -hmm. things that that's kind of, um, that's one of my main focuses for sure. But then also to the wealth of research that shows that if you're stronger then if you have a muscle that's strong and it can consistently overload, you know, from the forces that we're putting it through in our sport, it's not going to allow, you know, rupture. It's not going to strain. Like if, if it can withstand forces higher than the sport, then you're going to stay healthy. Like pretty right. simple there. Um, right. Because when injury happens, it's just the force overloading the tissue. So just make the tissue stronger. And, and it's, it's, I feel like that one's like the most obvious one, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of glaring. So, um, you know, obviously every kid hits, you know, every youth player hits puberty at a different time. Sometimes they hit it early. Sometimes they hit it late, you know, girls, there's a whole different, you know, whole different uh, Pandora's box there because it just <laughs> puberty, especially for girls and, and hips and all those things. Like it just, it just affects their bodies differently in a different way than it does uh, male athletes. Um, the other thing to kind of think of, and I was kind of curious if you might be able to comment a little bit on um, when is kind of like too young, you would say to start kind of having youth players working with like a movement specialist or like a physio. Yeah, so that depends on the specialist. Um, you know, there's some people that I wouldn't want working with a kid before the age of, you know, 11, 12. And, and there's some people that I would be perfectly fine with as soon as they can, you know, run around and somewhat coordinate themselves. And, and, and the reason being is, is just their specific approach. A kid under the age of an 11, 12, and I try to tell parents this because parents get so worried that their kid's going to get left behind if they spend right. time doing anything else. And that yes. couldn't be further from the truth. The more repetitions, the more exploration you give them, the, the more you're going to build or grow their capacity to learn. It's not about what they learn. It's the capacity to learn. And right at that but, age, but most soccer parents out there don't want the kids to learn anything because <laughs> it has to be soccer it right? has to be soccer right. yeah and, and there's a, there's a great book called range uh how um i believe it's called how generalists you know are succeeding in a specialized world and and they kind of make a they make a dichotomy between like specialists and generalists and in athletics and other things too, like chess. It's a great book. I recommend um, every strength coach read and then everyone who's interested in growing someone's athletic performance that they should read as well. Um, so it, coming back to the, to the specialist, mm -hmm. you know, their approach, it should be about, like I said, repetition and exploration. Um, you know, I would like them to have more than just a soccer ball. You know, I'd like them to have a tennis ball, 
a balloon, you know, a physio ball. I wanted to have all these different things um, so that we can be adaptable. Um, so, you know, I was, I was watching my nephew uh, the other day um, and, and he's, he's still crawling, very young. And, but there was a balloon there and he's just crawling and hitting the balloon and he's having a blast. But you think about it, like there's learning going on there. Like it's not, you know, obviously we can't tell them to learn what's going on or like, you know, create a game out of that. But use that example of like, okay, maybe you have a kid who is struggling with juggling or something like that. Now you change it to like a deflated balloon where they can track it a little better. And then you can just kind of work, you know, work it back to the ball. So that's what we call a constraints led approach. Um, and so it really comes down to the specialist. I think it can, like, I know that when I have a child, I'm going to be working with them very early on, but what working sure. with them from my, so like I cringe when I see parents and their little, little kid at the park and they got cones set up and it's very rigid. I hate seeing that, you know, it, it's more about this energy uh, or this, you know, very like rich environment with a bunch of different stimuli. Um, you know, it's a lot, it's actually a lot how I grew up, you know, we'd go to the, the nearby park and, you know, my brothers played soccer and we would bring soccer balls, but we'd also bring a tennis racket, a tennis ball, we'd bring gloves, baseballs, footballs. Right. Like, I kind of came up as more of like a, of a multi-sport athlete, but I, I'll tell you, I can now take understanding from these other sports and apply it to my sport. You know, like right. I, I, I often say that, you know, my, my history with surfing, I grew up um, surfing competitively. I often say that that I feel like did more for my soccer than anything else. I mean, hard to make the, the argument that it did more than soccer did, but um, you know, surfing itself, just what yeah. anticipation, patients, um, you know, cardiovascular system. Um, there, there was a lot of good things that came from that. And I wish more parents um, could have the patience and provide that environment for, for their young ones. Yeah. And I think that's really, I mean, I know for like, for me with my girls, um, you know, them being able to go play flag football, you know, in a boys league actually was really great for them. Just something yeah. that they could just go not have any type of pressure, just have fun, express themselves, learn, like kind of feed that athletic curiosity. Uh, you know, we, during the whole pandemic, we actually spray painted a pickleball court in our cul-de-sac on the Love street and it. all the neighbors come out and, you know, we all play pickleball and, and we yeah. probably do that a couple of times a week just to go out there and have fun and, and just, just to move, right. Just to get out there to move. Um, so, you know, parents and, and players out there, like, it's okay to play other sports. Mm -hmm. The challenging Absolutely. thing, is, you know, and, you know, us being in Southern California here, Rory, and, and especially places like Texas and Florida, where, you know, nine or 10 months out of the year, it's outdoor sport play and weather. And so mm -hmm. that the challenge there becomes, you know, what do you do in a year round sport when you want to go play another sport, then you're not committed and then coaches get mad. And, and this is also speaking to coaches too, that you've got to, if you want athletes that will probably get injured less, that will come with a fresh approach to the game that, that won't kill their curiosity and their creativity mm -hmm. approaching the game of one. soccer. These things are really important for them. Mm -hmm. So don't sacrifice winning today to have a, a, a more well-rounded athlete and quote unquote, that soccer player half a year or six months from now, because those yeah. things are good. And then, so Roy, if I understand you correctly, like it's good for kids to move their bodies in different ways, in addition to soccer as much as possible, whether that's trampoline yeah. park, go parkour, 
you know, yeah. you can surf it. You got an ocean near you. That's great. If not, go to the lake, you know, pick up a basketball, throw a football. Like these things are really good for kids to do. Yeah. And, and I think it's, I think it's difficult too, because, you know, even, even the kid at a certain point may just be like, this is all I want to do. You know, I'm dialed in, like, this is my favorite sport and all my yeah. friends are playing it. And it's, it becomes a task. It becomes a task for the parent to, to how do you gamify these other things to keep them interested in other things. And that's, and that's probably the largest piece with, you know, a, a, an 11 and under, um, um, athlete is keeping them engaged appropriately. And it takes a lot of patience and it takes a lot of energy and, you know, it's going to, there's going to have to be some effort from the parent as well to help dictate that. And so that's one of the factors at play. Well, I've experienced that a ton. You know, there was a period of time, especially with my youngest, where, you know, she's just getting a little burnt out because we, you know, we do a lot of stuff. They're playing Mm -hmm. futsal, they're playing soccer, they've got this, they've got that, just a lot of activities and just getting burnt out. And there's a period of time where it was a conversation like, I don't want to go to practice. And like, you made a commitment. Doesn't matter whether you want to go or going to. And there was like those periods where you kind of have to carry them a little bit through. You don't want to drag them, you don't want to force them to go. You might have to here and there, but maybe Mm -hmm. once or twice, you know. most parents yeah i mean yeah the um i I mean i'm in sales right so it's the art of negotiation you got to know i don't negotiate with terrorists you know my kids are terrorizing my life but at the same time it's like hey let's let's kind of work this thing forward and here's the big picture and you know without bribing your kid to go to practice because that's just horrible um so you know one of the things i kind of want to pivot into spending some time of our conversation here rory um i really want to talk about uh injuries and injury prevention Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that has to be another massive fear for players. It's got to be a massive fear for parents and for coaches. Um, if you were to kind of give just kind of general advice, not highly specialized, not highly situational or anything like that, but if you were to kind of give um, some good, practical, safe, you know, uh, general wisdom here, for ways that players can prevent injuries and what parents and coaches can do to help support those habits. What are some of like the top things that you would say would be pretty wise to implement? Yeah. Well, the first thing you got to do if you have, you know, a child that is, you know, circa peak height velocity or past basically, you know, puberty is you got to get in a time machine. You got to go back and you got to go and introduce all the variability and exploration that we talked about before. Um, but obviously that's not possible. Um, so the first thing you need to do is you need to realize that the sport is the most dangerous thing that they're doing. It's not the gym, it's the sport itself. And it's, it's usually matches that are going to be the most dangerous thing. So, you know, this is a pretty massive, uh, pretty massive, all encompassing type of, of discussion, you know, here. And, and so it takes, it requires a holistic approach. It requires an approach from all angles. Um, you know, perceptually they need to be in the right place. It's not even just about how many games they played that weekend. What about outside stressors? You know, what about stress at home? Things like that. That's going to have a, a a massive impact on them. So if I were to first approach, you know, good injury risk reduction right because we can't we can never prevent them right um if i were to approach that i would keep a bead on and i'm gonna envision this like a parent 
I'm going to, I would keep a bead on my child's activity levels from and do the best I can from like a minutes played and like a rigor of those minutes. I would try to understand that from a weekly basis. And I would try to make sure that we don't do things, you know, far and beyond what we have been doing. Um, and then take note of when there is a break that we need to be uh, ramped back into activity. That would be the biggest thing, you know, because we see with, with younger athletes with chronic type injuries, overuse type injuries, is that they'll peak in the early season. So what that means is the preparatory period was not enough. And so, and that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, good warmups, like it does mean good warmups, but what it means is exposure to those forces in a graded and systematic way. So that could be- Can you use an example? That's, that's a little, that's a little jargony. Give me yeah. an example. Yeah. Break that so, down for me. Yeah. So one of the things I really like to focus on with my athletes is relationship with the ground. And I actually look at a lot of things like relationships, you know, relationship with oxygen, um, you know, things like that. So relationship with the ground. So that just means when you hit the ground, what does your body do? Um, how do you respond to it? And so the activity that I go after with that is something um, like they're called like extensive plyometrics. And so a plyometric is like a jump, you know, uh, a jump or like a box jump, a jump off of a box, things like that. Those are plyometrics. And an extensive plyo is usually a lower intensity and more of them. And it's just reacting with the ground. So like a pogo hop, a low intensity pogo hop will just be your two feet and you're just hopping up and down a lot of stimulation through or a lot of um, activity through the foot and the ankle, not a whole lot through the knees. And all we're doing is we're exposing these higher repetition but low intensity forces through the ankle and foot complex, right? And we can systematically program that through a preparatory period. So maybe the first time you do it, it's like, you know, if we're just doing like a traditional pogo hop, like two sets of 10 in the warm up, you know? And then like the two days later, you know, we're hitting two sets of 10. And the next week, we're looking at, you know, three sets of eight. Right. And then we work towards three sets of 10 and we just kind of progress things out that way. So mm -hmm. now and, and, and again, this is like not so sports specific. Um, it's a very controlled environment. But now once we get to a point where we have sufficient volume of these pogos, you know, and maybe we've gone from two feet. Now we're gone to one feet and we've done some directional stuff. OK, you can you kind of have to trust you have to rest assured that yeah. now now you have exposed the body to enough of these varying forces in the right amount of volume, AKA repetitions, that when they experience it on the pitch, they're going to handle it better, right? Yeah. So like, for instance, you know, a knee injury is rarely the knee's fault. It's usually the foot, the ankle, or the hip. It's like a divorce between those structures. The knee is kind of a dumb, strong joint, just as I know what to do. And whereas the hip and the ankle and the foot are like, man, we got all these options. And so, you know, if your ankle and your foot are strong and doing their job and have good reactivity with the floor, then your knee is going to be in a much better place. You know, your mm -hmm. hip is going to be in a much better place. So um, it's really about that graded exposure, graded exposure. And honestly, it, I think why people don't really do it that much is because it's, it's boring. <laughs> it can just right. be boring. Like it's just sets and reps. And, and that's where... <clears throat> 
that's where people, that's where strength coaches are successful when, when they can implement systematic progressions like that um, in a reasonable way. And where players fall off is, you know, they want more variability and they get bored and they can't stick to a schedule. And it's just like, if you could take care of that low hanging fruit from an injury reduction standpoint, just be disciplined in that way. Um, it, it does so, so, so much for you. So, you know, that sounds like it would really work well with post pubescent adolescents, mm-hmm. right? What yeah. about pre pubescent kiddos? Yeah. Um, I, I love your point about just overuse mm-hmm. and, and understanding workload. Uh, granted they're kids. And I, I mean, like you said, when you were a kid, you went to the field, you had a, you know, a duffel bag full of equipment. I did the same thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, from sunrise till the streetlights come on. I mean, we were, whatever it was, we were, we were playing. Mm-hmm. Um, so knowing that kids have a ton of energy, but yet at the same time, caring about them and, and not going too soft on them, but yet at the same time, you know, not how, uh, teaching them to listen to their bodies. Again, how do we kind of address that issue? outside of a game, knowing that, like you said, the games are the number one place that you're probably going to find injuries because that's like the highest level of intensity. Mm-hmm. How do, how do we kind of help? This is part of that time machine. How do mm-hmm. we help kind of start introducing now this other, you know, these other little things to help prevent some injuries? Yeah. So it's the, the wheels kind of come off with this, with this discussion, it becomes much more difficult to look at the younger ones because it is so variable there's not going to be necessarily a specific you know tried and true approach again it's all about exposure it's about exposure it's about um you know a coordination rich environment so the the people that do the best job with the prepubescent type athletes they set up uh kind of an american ninja warrior course right and they're having parkour yeah, parkour, they're having the jump over boxes, they're having them <laughs> yeah. go under hurdles, right? Tumble, um, yeah. It tumble, it, it's gamified. Um, and I will say, I will say, if we're going to look at it from like a performance standpoint, one of the main things they tend to implement is acceleration and speed, right? And those are some of the main things that I would like kids to be exposed to more is just racing, you know, learning how to start, start, stop you know, and change direction and just let them, you know, use constraints, constraints to allow them to manage it themselves, you know, and and this is something that the top guys are doing with pros nowadays is they're, they're trying to get the athlete to find it within themselves. So they don't give too many cues. And so that's where constraints come in. Um, I was listening to a discussion recently where you know, uh, a strength coach was trying to find a way to get his at their athletes to improve frontside mechanics, which frontside mechanics is basically when you see the leg, the thigh and the knee come up forward when someone's running. That's what we call frontside mechanics and the legs going out back is called backside mechanics. They couldn't find a way for them to kind of get some elevation in their in their thighs the right way. And he noticed that if he if he told them too much, if he explained it too much, that he never got the response that he wanted. Like he knew what he wanted to see. He knows what a good rep looks like, but he just wasn't getting it. So the constraint he ended up doing was he put a med ball in front of them uh, or had them hold a med ball in front and the weight kind of activated their core a little bit to hold them posturally in a better position. And then he just said, 
kind of bring your legs up towards the med ball as you run. And it just made the click for the athletes. The reps looked better and they learned better. He didn't necessarily, you know, break it apart and, you know, stop them in a place and make them go slow, low right. and hold their leg here. And so I want to take that and apply that to our kids is like, you have to create a situation where they're going to get those repetitions. It's not going to be perfect and it doesn't need to be perfect. You just right. say today with these guys, I'm going to work on acceleration. So how do we work right. on acceleration? How do we keep it exciting for them? Cause when I work on acceleration with my older guys, like it can be pretty dry, you know, it's very systematic. It's lengthened out. And um, all I want from them is maximum, maximal intent. But with the younger ones, it's like, all right, we're going to have them. Like we did this great thing in junior lifeguards called uh, beach flags. And uh, you would, you would lay, you would lay, lie down with your hands like this. And you had to race to get these like little, I think it was hose that was chopped up. You just raced in deep sand, but you had to start from this position and they'd have you right. doing it forward. And they'd be this like head up, head down, head up, head down. And then like they'd say, go. And you'd have to get up and scramble and go. And yeah. I can't think of a better way to train athleticism or I train acceleration in a fun way, you know, that's competitive and kept us all, you know, gunning as hard as we possibly could. So getting that, that maximal activation. Um, right. And so, and they turn us around and maybe they do the head up and down thing, like a whole, uh, like a lot longer, you know? Um, so just ways like that. I know that this doesn't really feel like it directly correlates to, to reduction in injury. Um, but, but it does um, just that exposure, that movement variability, the options we need to give yeah. the young ones movement options. That is our, that's well, our goal. And it seems that especially in highly competitive environments, if kids look like they're having too much fun, it can't be serious and you can't be mm -hmm. taken serious. You're not going to get a result. But the reality mm -hmm. is, is that kids actually perform better when they're having more fun. Like that's yeah. just reality. Mm -hmm. uh, screaming at them and yelling at them and cracking the whip. You might get a little bit more effort, but they're going to, they're going to hate you in the sport. Yeah. You know? um, yeah. So it's kind of about having that long, that long, long-term vision, I guess there for, for the totality of the athlete. Um, yeah. You know, Rory, uh, I, I know that we could, we could, again, without the wheels falling off another topic and things like that, mm -hmm. we could probably go on talking about these things for hours. Um, and what I really want to kind of wrap into before we get to our last question for tonight, just kind of encapsulate it. Um, and I really value what you have to say to our audience. And, and one of the things I would just say for you guys that are listening to this now, you know, Rory does a really, really good job of breaking down a lot of these concepts on his Instagram page. Um, that's, uh, which is found at, at Southerly underscore, uh, Southerly underscore. Yeah. Yeah. It's at Southerly S U T H E R L Y underscore, uh, on Instagram. And there's a lot of great content there. Um, and so for any of you that have questions, it's a great opportunity for you to reach out to him directly in that regard. Uh, Rory, one of the things that we always ask, it's the final question we always ask kind of on the show here. And, you know, what I want to do is I want to give you the ability to uh, wave a wand, to rub the lamp and get one wish that you would get in pertaining to soccer in this country. And I just would want to know from you, you know, if you had the ability to have one wish of yours in the game answered, uh, what wish would that be? And to what effect would that be for the game in our country? So, um, yeah, that's a tough one. You know, really for me, where I'm at now 
in regards to sports performance and as it pertains to youth athletes and and where i see where they're at and where i see where they're going um you know i want them i would prefer that we had a better education for how to take care of ourselves um you know a lot of the things that i want to implement get pushed back because of uneducating some things out of people, you know, debunking myths and things like that. You know, I, I love that my players will go to the gym on their own, but when I hear about what they're doing, it's, it's unfortunate, you know, it's at the wrong times. Uh, it's the wrong type of movements. It's in the wrong sets and reps. Uh, it's driven largely by social media and people that right. don't play the sport, don't understand, you know, athletic, true athletic performance. So, you know, what I, what I would like, you know, what I think is, is, to be the most beneficial is an increased education. And that can be from people like me, you know, that can be from people like me doing little, you know, webinars to, to parents and players and things like that. Um, but also to just a, just general education, you know, uh, PE classes, at least in my day, were like, Hey, go, go and play. There's a go and go and play. You're too young to just throw out like a back in my day. Like back in my day. No, it was. It was. I loved it. Yeah. I mean, I loved to yeah. play. I wasn't doing schoolwork. That's all I wanted to do. I'd come home and I get to play some more. Yeah, um, and but what I would prefer is a more of a focus on, you know, skill acquisition, um, you know, and, and then also to education on our bodies, how they work. Um you know, just some of those low hanging fruits that we talked yeah. about, I think as a whole athletically, it would make a big difference in our, in our health and longevity, which, you know, what's the main thing that we're looking to do, um, with, with, uh, with our athletes is to keep them playing, which means reduce yeah. the risk of injury. The, the, the less time they're playing, it's worse for the athlete. It's worse for the team. So if we can manage that the best, um, you know, then, then we're going to be more successful as a whole. Um, so, you know, it, it, you know, recently you've, we've been seeing stuff, you know, injury issues with, um, you know, Pulisic and, and Reina and people are like, you know, is it a USA thing? You know, is it a Dortmund thing? Um, you know, what's going on with these guys? And, and I don't think it's really, it's really any of those things. Um, but regardless, I think, uh, you know, from a, a performance standpoint for us soccer, um, there's, there's an a time for intervention that we're missing with a lot of our players. And I, you know, when I get my, you, you know, U19s, U, U17s, U16s, it's kind of too late. Right. And so, and, and unfortunately I can't reach everyone. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it takes, it takes a tribe to kind of, to, to change this whole, this whole ordeal. So sure. I say, I would say that's my biggest thing. And that's just really because I live it. Um, I also deal with general population. I see, I see the effects in a lot of my general population patients of, of what lifestyle leads to what, um, yeah. you know, I got people coming in that are 80 years old and they didn't know that they're supposed to breathe through their nose through most of the day, you know, they're just like, no one ever told me. So I've been breathing through my mouth and, you know, I, and it's like, it took that long just, and this orifice on your face, you weren't using, you know, in the right. main way that you're supposed to, that you're supposed, it's not just for smelling your food. Um, you know, so that for me is, is pretty massive and, and it may be underwhelming to some of the sports performance people out there, but like, um, you know, in the end of the day, I, I want 
healthy people and I want healthy athletes. Right. They're not all going to make it. And so right. um, I want them to know how to handle that part of their lives. Um, just because I think as, as a community, as a nation, you know, things get better that way. A thousand times, a thousand percent. I mean, yeah, people, our relationship with sleep, our relationship mm. with our sport, our relationship with other humans, our relationship with ourselves, our relationship mm. with food, all these things are really valuable. And frankly, mm. um, we tend to uh, have people focus on, you know, the equivalent of the tabloids in the supermarket. Uh, mm. That's pretty much what now lines all of our social media feeds <laughs> in comparison and oh. thirst posts and all these other things oh. now. And it's we, it, to keep a really good balance uh, is incredibly and increasingly difficult in a, a day and time like this. So, uh, but that's a different conversation for a stronger drink, as I like to say, Rory. <laughs> and um, but I just want to say thanks again for coming and, and bringing you know kind of again giving to us some of that approach to your applied science in the sport kind of uh, allowing us to see a glimpse of why it's so valuable and the earlier we can have these conversations uh, the better but hey listen the reality is listeners out there is it's never too late to start it's never too late to start to kind of correct some of these habits mm -hmm. it is never too late never mm -hmm. never no one is past the point of of being able to work through some of these challenges and stuff like that so absolutely uh, and, and god bless geo Reina's hamstrings dear lord please bless him. um <laughs> So, hey, Rory, thanks again. Hope to have you on the show again in the future, man. Always appreciate it. And again, everybody out there, check Rory on his socials. Uh, he is a wealth of information. He's also an incredibly nice person and will definitely let you ask any question under the sun because he's super kind in that regard. So, oh, Rory, you. thanks for coming on the show, buddy. And uh, we're going to see you next time. Sound good? Sounds great. Thank you. Thanks again. Thanks again, buddy. Catch you later. See ya. Bye.